invite you to turn in your Bible this evening to 2 Samuel chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9, where we're going to just uh, have look at a story that is a wonderful depiction of the, the nature of grace. The title of the message is What Grace is Like, What Grace Looks Like, How Grace Acts. 2 Samuel chapter 9, this is a just if you think about the history of Israel, uh, this is really, um, Israel is in the land. Uh, David is Israel's second king. And in chapter 8, we read about uh, all David's accomplishments, his victories, as he is uh, consolidating his reign, as he's broadening the horizons of uh, the borders of Israel. Uh, David's uh, kingdom is being established. And now that uh, as we get to the end of chapter 8, David's kingdom has been established and uh, and now he um, turns to show kindness to Mephibosheth, the, uh, the grandson of King Saul. Let's pick it up then in chapter 9, verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in, uh, at Lodabar. Then king David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said to him, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful picture of your kindness to us in Jesus, and I pray that you'd give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it, and Lord, that we'd be nourished and fed by your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we have here a, a story uh, in 2 Samuel 9, a wonderful story that's a picture of the nature of grace. Grace is one of those words that we use a lot in the church. Uh, we, we grew up, maybe, maybe you grew up hearing of it. Uh, if I had asked you to define it, I wonder what you would say. Uh, what, is, what is grace? Uh, maybe you would say grace is unmerited favor. That's a very common uh, definition. And it's a very good definition. Um, 
it, it, grace is, is, is about gift, right? It's, Paul says in Romans 3.24, we are justified by His grace as a gift. But definitions don't really do justice to the term. Uh, for that, we have stories in, in Scripture that, that flesh out for us what grace looks like and what grace does for us. And we have a, such a story here uh, tonight. Uh, we're going to just follow the story through and, and see, first of all, where grace begins. That's my first point, where grace begins. As I said in 2 Samuel chapter 8, David has consolidated his kingdom. He is now established. Um, his enemies have been defeated. And uh, David uh, has now, now turns his focus to matters at home. And he remembers a promise he'd made long ago to his dear friend Jonathan. And so in verse 1, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now to understand what David is talking about there, we have to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 20. So if you, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 20. Jonathan, you may remember, was uh, the son of Saul and David's very, very closest friend, closer than a brother. And... Uh, uh, David had sensed that Saul was trying to kill him, and, uh, and so Saul said he would find out. And so we have this covenant that David and Saul and Jonathan make together. So we'll pick it up at verse 12 of chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20. Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness, when I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow, tomorrow, or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you, and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father." If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul." Jonathan and David made a covenant, and Jonathan makes David promise that when, uh, when David rises to the throne, that, that he will um, show love and mercy to his house. So when, when Jonathan says, do not cut off your steadfast love for my house, he's saying, uh, show mercy to my children. And, and now 20, 25 years have passed since that day. David, remember, was on the run for, for maybe 20 years, or 15 to 20, running from King Saul. David then comes to the throne. And, um, and, and if you remember, David came to the throne only after Saul and Jonathan had both been killed on the same day in battle. Mephibosheth was only a young boy then. Well, we were told in 2 Samuel 4 verse 4 that he was five years old. And uh, the nurse that was watching over him received news that Jonathan and Saul had been killed. And so she took him and ran. Uh, but while she was doing that, she fell and he was dropped and he was crippled in both feet. And so now we have Jonathan, uh, Mephibosheth, a young man, 20, 25 years old. He has a son of his own. He most likely knew nothing about uh, the covenant that David had made with his father. 
Uh, he certainly had no expectation of what was about to happen to him. Uh, in the mind of Mephibosheth, David was to be avoided and feared. Uh, Mephibosheth is a long way away from the courts of Jerusalem. He's in hiding. But in the mind of David, there is a wonderful mercy. Here we, we just see that what we have in our mind, thinking what maybe God might think of us, is, is not always, uh, in fact, often not what God has in mind at all. God has in mind incredible mercy. And David, um, as he now has established his, his kingdom and all the blessings that God has given to him, remembers the covenant he made with Jonathan. Maybe he's, he's missing Jonathan, wishing that Jonathan could be there to see all that God has done in faithfulness to him. And, and, uh, and David asks someone, is there, not, is there anyone, anyone at all from the house of Saul who is still alive? that I may show mercy and kindness to him for Jonathan's sake. Uh, David's heart is, lo is, is longing to show mercy, and, and it's, it's moved by the grace of God to him as well. Notice he says, that I may show the kindness of God to him. David senses the kindness of God in his own life and wants to be a channel so that kindness of God uh, might flow um, to anyone left from the house of Saul. And to David's uh, joy, the answer comes back, yes, there is. Not only is there someone left from the house of Saul in general, there's someone left from the house of Jonathan, a son, Mephibosheth, but he's crippled in both feet. But David's response is, of course, immediate, go get him. You see, friends, grace begins in the heart of God. Grace begins with a covenant sacred promise made in love. A Mephibosheth is going to receive grace simply because of a covenant that David had made so long ago with Jonathan, a covenant made before Mephibosheth was even born. It's a wonderful reminder of the covenant of redemption. Theologians speak of the covenant of redemption, which just means the covenant made between the father and the son before the world was formed. A covenant in which the Father uh, gives to Jesus all of the elect, and, and, uh, and Jesus promises to do the work of redemption, and, and the covenant means that uh, the Father promises that all those for whom Jesus died shall be given to Him and shall be redeemed by Him and uh, eternally blessed because of Him. That's uh, the covenant made before the Father, between the Father and the Son, before we were ever born. And Paul emphasizes that in Ephesians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every blessing in Christ for He, the Father, chose us in Him, Jesus, before the creation of the world. Grace begins in the heart of God. Grace begins in a covenant promise made between the Father and the Son. And notice Secondly, where grace goes. There was probably no more unlikely object of David's mercy in all of Israel than Mephibosheth. Uh, Mephibosheth has everything going against him. Um, he is physically crippled. Now, in, in our day, that is a, that's something that our, our, our hearts go out towards. We, we, we have empathy, sympathy for people who are uh, disabled. In those days... Um, a disability like this was a clear evidence of divine displeasure. And so people who were crippled were not the recipients of, 
of compassion necessarily, but they were primarily the recipients of uh, suspicion. What, what did they do? That, what wicked thing are they guilty of that, that would make the God to respond uh, in this way? Remember when uh, Jesus um, meets the man born blind and, and the disciples ask, who sinned? Uh, was, it, was it this guy or was it his parents? I mean, it had to be somebody is guilty here and, uh, or this wouldn't have happened. And, and so Mephibosheth is an, an object of suspicion. He, he's lame. It's a, it's a defining feature in the story and, and obviously in his life. It's mentioned several times in the text. He, he's, he's crippled. His weakness is the result of a fall, which it, 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 it's, I just find that interesting. We can all say that, right? Our, our weakness is directly because of a fall. Uh, but he's a disabled man. Uh, there's a mark on him. He's incurably flawed. This isn't going to get fixed. And that weakness is disabling. The, the, the Ziba makes, makes a point to let David know uh, he's lame in, in both feet. He, he's a burden. He can't do anything. He can't, he can't help himself. There's, there's nothing that he has to offer to the, the house of David. And, and that his weakness is, is disqualifying in a sense. You see, David, in those days, a king would surround himself with beautiful people, with, with um, gifted, able people. Uh, the, the, the entourage, the more beautiful and gifted and healthy and strong, the more, the more it exalts the king. And, and David, as a new king, would want to be projecting vigor and strength and beauty, grandeur, glory. And so Mephibosheth isn't somebody you want in the photo op. He's a tragic picture of, of weakness, inability, maybe even judgment. He, he's, he's got nothing to offer to David but dead weight. But that's just his physical issues. The, the, the greatest problem, of course, is that Mephibosheth belongs to the house of Saul. He's the son of Jonathan, son of Saul. He's a, he's, a, he's a member, he belongs to the house of David's enemy, at least the one who had made himself David's enemy. He's, his grandfather Saul, right, King Saul, had done everything in his power to destroy David over and over, to prevent David's reign. And, and that means, in the cultural context of that day, that Mephibosheth is, is enemy number one of the state. He's ripe for destruction. Dale Ralph Davis, in his commentary, says, when a new regime came to power, the name of the game was Purge. Right? The new king always needed to solidify his position by eradicating the family of the former king. It was conventional political policy. Solidification by liquidation. Everybody knew it. Everybody believed it. Everybody practiced it. And of course, that's precisely why the nurse who was watching over little Mephibosheth ran in the first place. Uh, she put two and two together immediately. If, Dave, if, if uh, King Saul is dead, if Jonathan is dead, that means David now is going to come to power and, uh, and Mephibosheth is in mortal danger. And so she takes him and they run to the wilderness to hide. She knows what's going to happen to him. It's what happens to every, every um, descendant, every member of the household of uh, the former king. And so she succeeded, right? Uh, Mephibosheth is safe. He's crippled, but he's still alive. But what a poor existence uh, they would have had there in Lodabar. Uh, Lodabar means no pasture. Uh, Lodabar means wilderness. Uh, Lodabar means um, hard 
um, difficult life. Um, you're, not, you're not near Jerusalem. You're not near the courts, right? This, this young man had been a prince in, in uh, the, the courts of the king, and now he's, he's completely lost uh, back in the wilderness where um, there's no society, there's no honor, there's no glory. There's just meager existence. Well, that's where grace goes. Grace goes to people in the wilderness. Uh, grace goes to people who um, were, were born, right? We were born as princes and kings. Um, we, had a, we had a rightful place in the presence of God and, 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 and in the household of God. We, we were crowned with glory and honor, the psalm says, and, and we threw it all away uh, by sin. And we find ourselves in the wilderness, a meager existence, so much less than what God had meant for Adam. And, and uh, on the wrong side, right? We belong to the wrong camp, the, the wrong family. We, we've allied ourselves with God's enemy. But notice what grace does. Uh, imagine the day that the soldiers, uh, David's soldiers, arrive at the house of Machir and start asking, where's Mephibosheth? There's no doubt that their arrival did not feel like grace. Their arrival felt like a judgment day. Uh, certainly, this was the day that Mephibosheth had always feared. Uh, they, had, they had been hiding, but you can only hide so well and for so long. Um, this is the day he had dreaded, the day that they would be found. They would be found out. And David would come and, and look for him and, and come for his life. But, but what can he do? He can't run. He's lame in both feet. And so they pick him up and they uh, load him in a chariot and, and they bring him to to David, to this, back to the city. Uh, Mephibosheth undoubtedly uh, assumed that this was, um, well, he's on his way to his execution. It, it's undoubtedly what was going to happen. And so when he, when, he, when he comes into the king's presence, he prostrates himself, his body on the ground, his face in the dust, um, his posture signifying that he understood he knew the score. He, he, he understood who he was. He knew who David was. He, knew, he knows his life is entirely in David's hands, and uh, David can do as he pleases, and David most certainly will put him to death. But that's not what happens. That's not what happens at all. Um, and, and once again, we have this, this graphic uh, picture of the experience of every believer who is arrested by God. Uh, you see, every sinner goes in hide, into hiding, don't we? Just like Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin, they went and hid. They, they were looking for Lodabar. How do we, how do we escape the, the, the presence of the, of the face of God? How do we escape uh, His all-knowing eye? And, and that's what sinners do. We hide in a thousand ways. We hide by um, trying to excuse our sin. We hide by trying to do good things to cover up or atone for our sin. We hide under promises that we'll, we'll do better. There's all sorts of ways. Many people hide by becoming very religious or hide by becoming very theologically um, intellectual and, and uh, informed. And if we know our, our catechism and our confessions and we know our theology, then we, uh, surely we could hold that up and hide uh, the, 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 the fatal flaws right in our character behind that. There's lots of ways that people try to hide. And, 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 and then if grace... Uh, is operating, operating uh, we get found out. And uh, we, can't, we can't hide anymore. We, we've been caught in a sense. And, and grace ushers us into the presence 
of the great king where we realize that um, we deserve to be put to death. I don't know if you can be a, uh, be, a, be a Christian in truth without acknowledging that fact that, that your sin actually does deserve a judgment. Uh, that, that's what grace does. You see, grace arrests us, exposes us, shows us what we are, and, and brings us into the presence of God where we have to confess that we are completely unworthy of God's favor. But then grace does the most amazing and unexpected thing because instead of condemning us, grace rescues and pardons and restores and showers us with mercy. Can you imagine the surprise when Mephibosheth hears what David has to say to him? Don't, don't be afraid. Right? Verse... Uh, Verse 7, David says, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Uh, David could not have given Mephibosheth greater honor, uh, greater blessings. He's, he's, um, he promises that he's going to protect Mephibosheth, that he does not need to be afraid, but, but David's vast a military power is now um, at Mephibosheth uh, on his side for his help, for his protection. Um, and, and he's going to restore. So provision, I'll restore all the lands of your father Saul. And Ziba, the servant of Saul, is commanded now to be a servant of Mephibosheth. And so he has these lands. He has servants. He has position and status he never had before. In fact, um, he, he's, he's exalted to uh, one of David's family. He's, he's going to eat at the king's table like all the other sons of the king. I mean, you, you couldn't dream this. This is, it's not possible right, for, for someone like Mephibosheth to be given such honor and, and such status as to be uh, made rich with the riches of his father and, and, and yet brought to the king's table himself. D D Mephibosheth, in a sense, is adopted, given full rights and privileges of a son. And so instead of receiving what he deserved and what he expected, he's not condemned. He's made a full member of the family. He lives in the king's house. He, the, the, uh, he has servants who, who serve him. And, and the question Mephibosheth must have been asking is, Why? Why would David do this? It's so completely unexpected. Why would King David be so incredibly gracious, so over-the-top kind? Why would he favor Mephibosheth in such a way? And, and the answer always comes back the same. It's for the sake of Jonathan. It's for the sake of Jonathan. It's not because Mephibosheth is something special. It's not because he's done anything if you looked at Mephibosheth alone, there wouldn't be a single compelling reason for David to show such mercy and kindness. But you see, when David looked at Mephibosheth, he didn't see a man alone. What he saw was a son of his dearest friend, Jonathan, a man whom he loved as his own soul. That's what he saw when he saw Mephibosheth. He saw a, a, a recipient of, of a covenant promise. A promise that David that mattered to David because of his love. And, and, and that promise had been sealed with, with an oath. And so it, it delights David to shower Mephibosheth with love and grace. And friends, that's exactly what happens in the gospel. It's exactly what happens in the gospel. We read earlier in the service from Romans chapter 5, where Paul says, while we were still weak, 
incapable. You see, while we were, when we were Mephibosheth, unable to produce anything of merit or good, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. People uh, who have the wrong blood, part of the wrong family. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, wrong status before the law of God, right? The, the vowed enemies of God. Uh, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And just let that settle. When we were protesting and rebelling and violating, blaspheming, that's when God showed his love, and that's when Jesus died for us. Verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. You see, God, God in his grace has done for us in the ultimate sense what David did. God has showed his love. He, he manifested it while we were weak and while we were sinners and while we were enemies. And God showed his love not just in, in being kind to David. It really didn't cost David anything to, to show this kindness to Mephibosheth. It was incredibly gracious, but, but it didn't really cost David anything. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, God sent his son to die for us, to bear the judgment and the wrath of God for us. And because of what God has done for us through Jesus, we are the recipients of unimaginable blessings. Has it, has it really settled in your mind that you are an adopted child of the King of Heaven? And that angels are your servants? Has that, has that ever struck you that angels, holy angels, are ministering spirits sent to serve you? That's Hebrews 1 verse 14. That you are, you are an heir of all of your father's land. All of it. And, and, and all of it because of covenant love. And, see, and that's important to remember. You see, I, I wonder, have you ever wondered? Have you ever wondered why God is so good to you? As you look at yourself and you look at your life, has it ever just seemed there's this incongruency between who you actually are and, 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 and the blessings you've received? I, it, it's just astonishing. I, I hope you've had that sense. Or why is God so good to you? And, and it can be difficult to receive that, that love and to trust the goodness of God. How many times don't we wonder, when is the shoe going to finally drop? When, when, when is God actually going to deal with me as my sins deserve? And, and we hope it doesn't happen, and, and, and we hope that or if it does and when it does, that God will give us grace. But, but, but we can easily live uh, with this sense of trepidation. Well, that's why it's so important to remember the reason God is, is showing his kindness to us. You see, what a wonderful assurance it would be for, Mephi for Mephibosheth. Because Mephibosheth, if he had looked in himself for reasons why David would show kindness to him, it's just not there. Maybe he could have uh, in, in, said, well, I mean, that's not there. I can't imagine a single thing he could say. He can't say, well, I'm the son of a king. Yeah, you're the son of King Saul who tried to kill David over and over and over again. That, that, that's not in your favor. He's got nothing to plead. He's nothing but a burden. And he's a continual burden. Every, every day he has to uh, make his way 
hobbling, crawling, however he, he managed to move around up to the king's table. He, verse 13, so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate at the king's table. Now he was, in lame, he was lame in both feet. The story ends that way. He was lame in both feet. He never got better. Week after week, month after month, year after year, he was lame, hobbling around the palace, pulling himself up to the king's table, in need of grace once again, constantly in need of David's mercy. How long could it continue? Well, it would continue as long as David loved Jonathan and remembered the promise he had made. You see, the mercy to Mephibosheth was as deep as David's love for Jonathan. And David loved Jonathan as he loved his own soul. And what a comfort then for people like us. One of the hardest lessons to accept as a believer is that you never get past your need for grace. I have to confess, I would, there's a part of me that would love to be done needing grace. Wouldn't it be nice just to have one day where you could say, I did it? Just one day where I was a success today. That's the flesh, I recognize that. But it's there. And it's so frustrating, it's so painful to realize that we always need grace as much as the hour we first believed. We don't really get better, not in this life. Sin's going to be our companion until we lay this old body down, right? Until then, we're lame. We're lame. And so day after day and week after week, Sunday after Sunday, year after year, we drag our disabled selves to the table of the king, and every time we're just as needy as the first. Every time. And every time, God feeds us with grace and mercy and kindness and love. You see, the, the devil in our own, our own conscience might suggest, I mean, haven't you been freeloading long enough? Isn't it time for you to stand on your own two feet? After all these years at the king's table, isn't it time that you made yourself worthwhile around here, earned your keep? How long do you think this will last? And the answer, of course, is as long as the Father loves Jesus. As long as the Father loves Jesus. As long as the Father is faithful to the promise he made to his Son. And that's forever. I am delighted that um, the assurance of God's love for me has nothing to do with me. The assurance of God's love for me is rooted in his love for Jesus Christ, his beautiful, perfect Son. It's rooted in all that Jesus Christ perfectly accomplished by his life and his death. You see, that's, that's, a, that's a foundation for love and grace that we can trust. And, and so we can sing, yet not I. It's, it has nothing to do with me, but, but I am absolutely confident that the grace of God will be sufficient for my life, sufficient for my sin, sufficient for my trials, my heartaches, It'll be sufficient because the grace of God to me is rooted in a covenant my father made with his son, my savior, Jesus Christ. And that covenant will never, ever be broken. Let's believe it. Amen. Well, Father, I thank you that in grace you sought us out where we were, lost in our sin, in the wilderness of unbelief and and, and ungodliness and wickedness. I thank you, O oh Father, that in grace you showed us the truth of our unworthiness, and yet, Lord, not to shame us, but to bring us to Jesus Christ where we could find a Savior for sinners like us. Father, I just thank you so much 
that our salvation is all of grace from first to last. And I thank you, oh Father, that you never, you never get tired of showering your good gifts upon us. You, you never grow weary of our need. Because, Lord, you love us in Jesus Christ and you delight to honor the covenant you've made with your Son. And so, Lord, every time we come to you, you are delighted to receive us. Every time we confess our sin, you delight to forgive us. Every time we uh, acknowledge our weakness and, and ask for your help, you're, you're delighted to give us your strength. Oh, Father, I pray that this would change how we think of you and how we pray to you. And that in this we would be wonderfully humbled and yet deeply comforted as we remember how rich we are in Jesus and all the blessings that we have received all by grace alone. Oh God, help us to live in these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.